The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings, scribes. This week's episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by New Media Dojo. Thinking about starting a podcast or just want to up your sound quality? Make a sound impression with New Media Dojo and inquire today about all of your podcast production needs. Just head over to newmediadojo.com to talk podcast. That's newmediadojo.com. I don't write historical fiction because my books aren't set in kind of, you know, they're not set around World War II or they're not period fiction or whatever. But equally, like, setting a book in rural Ireland in 1996, like, it may as well have been, you know, the distant past or a different country. You know, I, like, at that point, I was eight years old. I lived in a suburb of Dublin. Like, I didn't know anything about farms or cows or the IRA or BSE or you know I didn't know anything about that I had no first-hand experience so the degree of research that I was required to do it, like it may as well the book may as well be set, set in like Sweden in the, in the 1850s you know what I mean and welcome back to the writer files this is your grateful host Kelton Reed wishing you more pages patience and perseverance per usual Award-winning Irish author Ruth Gilligan spoke to me about researching the gothic wilds of Ireland, how to engineer a thriller, and her latest, The Butcher's Blessing. Ruth is a writer and academic from Dublin and was the youngest person ever to top the Irish bestsellers list. She's published five books, and her most recent novel, The Butcher's Blessing, is described as a haunting and unforgettable thriller brimming with secrecy, tradition, and superstition. It won the 2022 Ondacha Prize, and judges call it a page-turning roller coaster of a read. Barnes & Noble Reads called the book an achingly beautiful novel of family tradition, Ireland, and the deep secrets buried in all three. Ruth contributes literary reviews to the Irish Independent, Guardian, TLS, and the LA Review of Books. She's also a professor of creative writing at the University of Birmingham and is an ambassador for the global storytelling charity Narrative 4, linked in the notes. In this file, Ruth and I discussed how a high school writing exercise turned into a bestseller, the in-depth four-year research process behind her latest, why her meticulous plotting is like architectural engineering, how to write a thriller from four unique POVs, why writers always need to set themselves greater challenges, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on, and don't forget, you can always support this show 
by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. A huge shout out to those of you who have already donated or purchased Writer Files merch. And I wanted to personally thank supporters David Anderson and Hubbub Media this week. You're helping keep the lights on, literally. I'm cooking up some new collaborations and sponsors for the show in 2022, so stay tuned. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. Okay, we are back on The Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by the award-winning author and academic Ruth Gilligan is joining us today. How are you uh, surviving there? Um, I believe you're overseas in, in the UK presently. Yeah, I'm currently in London. Um, so I literally got home uh, last night after doing a week back in Dublin and then a few days in Essex, which is where my husband's from. So yeah, we've done the rounds of all the family ever. So I'm now back in my apartment in London and just breathing a little sigh of relief that we managed to do it all without anyone getting sick and everyone, anything going wrong. So yeah, it's a lot of relief. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it must feel good to be back home safe and sound. Exactly. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to pick your brain about all things writing. So as we do, and before we talk about your latest, The Butcher's Blessing, as it's titled here in the US, um, let's talk about just your history as a writer. And you know, you've had this um, fantastic career and, and you've, done, you've worn all these different hats. You're kind of a multi-hyphenate, as I like to put it, academic. You, you've been an actor and, of course, um, award-winning author. But take us back a little bit to, I don't know, maybe when you had an aha moment that you were going to venture kind of down this road of literary fiction? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard for me because I feel like I had, I sort of stumbled into writing and that it's something that I always did and always loved. But I started really early, like in the way that so many people do, like I wrote a lot as a, as a youngster. Um, and then, you know, basically, at the age of 16, I had to do a high school project so I decided I would write a novel um so I wrote my first novel at 16 purely because it was something I had to do for school and then through a series of like freakishly fortunate events it ended up getting published and it ended up going to number one on the bestsellers list in Ireland and I was like oh my goodness I suddenly am an author so there was nothing kind of massively deliberate about it all sort of right place right time just kind of happened um and then, you know, after that, I published two more novels. And, you know, those first three books were kind of super commercial, kind of somewhere between kind of YA and commercial women's fiction, like all about young people in Ireland coming of age, doing stupid stuff, finding themselves, etc. <laughs> but I guess it was after those first three books that, as I said, sort of happened without me fully realizing what the hell was going on. I was like, oh, wait, I actually want to be a writer full time. But, you know, maybe these aren't necessarily the kinds of books that actually I want to write going forward. So hmm. I actually ended up taking like a pause of like seven years and went away and did a creative writing master's and then a PhD and then sort of switched direction. Um, and then my fourth and fifth books came out in kind of 2016 and 2020 respectively. So um, that was that for me was the moment I kind of consciously decided I want to be a writer and this is the kind of book I want to write. But 
it also happens that I already had three published novels under my belt as well. So there's kind of two stages to the journey as I kind of envisage it, which is kind of unusual, I guess. Yeah, that's really cool. That kind of uh, evolution taking time time to really study the craft obviously paid off. And I understand that you won the 2021 Andacha uh, Prize, which must have been, um, I don't know, it must have felt like, uh, yeah, this is this is what I've been, <laughs> this is what I've been working towards. <laughs> sure, I mean, like you know, winning prizes, uh, we all know that it's a lottery, and when we don't win them, we're like, oh, it's all to do with luck and who knows who and blah blah blah. But then when you do win one, you're like, oh my god, they mean everything. So um, <laughs> I feel like I feel like for two reasons, like one, because of the journey that I've just articulated, it does feel like a lovely kind of confirmation that, like, yes, you've done it, you have officially become a literary writer whatever the hell that means so that was really nice it was also just nice because like the book first came out here the butchers as it's called in the uk and ireland like it first came out here in march 2020 which i can officially confirm is the worst time ever in history (laughs) to publish a novel um and yeah it was the poor little thing it just the timing was so bad and i mean it was right at the start of the pandemic when like literally up until like a week before what was supposed to be an in-person book launch like we naively thought like that might still be a thing and it was just like literally the week (laughs) of publication the world was just falling apart before our eyes and needless to say nobody wanted to think or talk about books and you know a lot of places especially in Ireland like a lot of bookstores like didn't hadn't figured out online retail whatsoever so like (laughs) there was a point that like you physically couldn't get hands your hands on a copy of the book like it was getting reviewed in like the Irish Times and the Irish Independent but like I was getting texts from my friends and family being like I really want to buy your book but like I literally can't and like as an author that is like pretty crushing Uh, um so, so the point is that like fast forward a year later for it to win a prize was just nice for it to get some like belated love and attention because I didn't feel like yeah it had sort of fallen through the cracks I totally understandably because we all had bigger things to be worrying about but yeah it was nice just to get a little belated boost yeah absolutely and now it's available in paperback that must be a another nice confirmation there just some really uh amazing blurbs and, and a lot of great reviews but um the butcher's blessing here in the U.S. has been called gripping gothic and moody and achingly beautiful novel of family tradition ireland and the deep secrets buried in all three but yeah uh you know there's definitely a a host of influences happening here um and i really do want to talk about the unique uh research process that that you went through to kind of capture you know the the essence of place and then of course the characterization that went into this fantastic book talk a little bit about yeah this uh <laughs> this process for you yeah so i mean i like for me the big difference between the kind of the books that i used to write and the books that i write now is to do with the research process like i am kind of you know an unashamed nerd who really enjoys research and probably enjoys it too much so that i never really know when to stop <laughs> so i kind of keep going and keep going and then i just have folders and folders that i never end up using but you know i knew that i wanted to write a book that was set in 1996 mm-hmm. in ireland during the bse or mad cow disease crisis um along the kind of northern irish border and like it's so funny because sometimes when people ask me what kind of books i write you know 
I don't write historical fiction because my books aren't set in kind of, you know, they're not set around World War II or they're not mm -hmm. period fiction or whatever. But equally, like setting a book in rural Ireland in 1996, like it may as well have been, you know, <laughs> the distant past or a different yeah. country. You know, I like at that point, I was eight years old. I lived in a suburb of Dublin. Like I didn't know anything about farms or cows or the IRA or BSE or you know I didn't know anything about that I had no first-hand experience so the degree of research that I was required to do it, like it may as well the book may as well be set set in like Sweden in the in the 1850s you know what I mean <laughs> so I yeah I, I went really deep and I kind of I'm a big believer in kind of doing just there's so many different types of research one can do like obviously you know spending days and days in the library and reading old books and old records but then also like going to the place like I spent a lot of time in uh you know what are known as the border counties so the counties along the northern Irish border just spending time walking around just soaking it up in it's such a weird liminal abandoned hmm. part of the world mm -hmm. um then like talking to people, interviewing people, interviewing farmers, like going to their farms, spending time there, asking them what they probably thought were like the most inane, stupid questions. I literally <laughs> know nothing about farms. Um, listening to radio on repeat. Like I used to just listen hmm. to farming shows and also like radio shows, you know, local radio run out of Cavan and Monaghan and those kind of different counties just to get the accent and the cadence of the speech. Um, so yeah, just like all these different types of research to really immerse myself in like the texture, I suppose, of, of that time. Um, because as I said, yes, there are things I remember from 1996. I remember the Spice Girls releasing their first single and I remember the <laughs> Olympics and I remember the football tournament that was going on right. and, you know, the couple of people who died or whatever, but like in terms of what was going on in that particular corner of Ireland, um, as I said, I was a complete novice. So yeah, I really, really went deep. But I love that. I love geeking out on research. And to be honest, like my one of my editor's main jobs is just to rein me in and be like, Ruth, I know you think this like passage is super interesting. <laughs> it has absolutely no bearing on the story, the characters, <laughs> the plot. And I'm like, but it's so cool. And he's like, no, Ruth, remove it. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of the biggest thing for me that I need to, to learn. Amazing. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah, so I understand that you did just an extensive amount of research. And then, of course, you've got to synthesize all of this into the, you know what's being called as kind of a both literary thriller, coming-of-age story, as you mentioned, some historical, quite a bit of historical fiction. 
um, paints these scenes and, and, and then you have the kind of the folklore and the superstition and supernatural piece. Um, and we won't do any spoilers here, but talk, talk about then sitting down and, um, kind of what, like when you're really hitting your stride, when you're kind of in that flow state, what the most, um, prolific period for you is when you're, you know, feeling really, really confident about where your head hit. I mean, I, I, I'd love to think that that moment ever comes. Um, I'm kind of fascinated about this concept of the flow state because I kind of feel like I hear people talking about this and I, I love the sound of it, but I'm not sure it's something that I like totally recognize myself. I think like, as I said, like not only am I a massive geek and a nerd when it comes to research, but I'm also like, I'm a planner. Like I am an intensely, like I'm not a very chill person. I'm like highly organized. I like lists. I like plans. I like structure. And, you know, fundamentally I write novels that usually have multiple points of view and therefore multiple storylines. So like I planned with an inch of my life. Mm. Like I spent so long, like, and I force myself to, to stay on the, in the planning stage for as long as possible. Cause I know from experience that if I do kind of just say, okay, I have a rough idea what's going to happen. I'm just going to start writing and see where it takes me. Mm-hmm. I'll just go off on some tangent. I will just lose my thread. I will just, yeah, it just, it doesn't work for me. So I need to have, I spent ages on a kind of the architecture or the engineering uh, part of the process. And again, I love it. Like I love having a really detailed, like, you know, blocking out almost like a beat mm-hmm. sheet for a film or whatever like what's going to happen in each chapter what are the revelations what key scenes need to happen what beats i need to hit um and once i so i spent a very very long time planning that out um and then when i come to writing like yeah sure there's like you know there's a certain amount of flow and um pleasure and you know leaning in you know that's the bit where you get to play with language and you know something that I really love but also I always have one eye on that plan being like okay I've got 4,000 words I need to do xyz like go so I just know that I have to rein myself in because otherwise I would just go off in all sorts of directions and especially for something you know the butchers as I said has kind of four key points of view there's like a central you know it is loosely structured around a kind of a whodunit. Like there's a, you know, there's a dead body and the kind of central question is, you know, who, whose body is it and how did he die? Mm-hmm. So in terms of planting all the clues and the slow release of information over the course of the novel, like that had to be so meticulously worked out and shared between the, the four points of view. Um, so yeah, it, I, I, this kind of, this kind of casual flow stage sounds great, but it's kind of <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. And then talk about the importance um, of the gamut of revision and editing that you went through to, you know, finally arrive at this polished um, award-winning book. Yeah, I mean, my editor is, he is exacting. Um, and I love that about him. Like, he he really puts me through my paces and I really, really love that about him. He, I mean, look, I think the editorial process for me is like my favorite part of the whole novel because you basically mm. get someone really clever reads your book and then tells you all these things that you were doing that you didn't even realize you were doing mm. and then makes all these suggestions about how to make the book even better um and like i'm blessed also with having like a really great uk editor and a great us editor so between them their mm-hmm. combined wisdom um so i'm very unprecious about like if they say 
this scene is rubbish or this character isn't working or, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally happy to kind of respond to their suggestions um, and, and go with that. And I think, you know, I think with this novel, I think they thought it would require one, maybe two edits. And I remember at the second round of edits, um, my British editor turned around to me and he's like, Ruth, it is nearly there, but it's just not quite there. So I'm going to make you do another round. And I remember at the time being like, James, I hate you. Why are you doing this to me? And I'm actually, in retrospect, I'm obviously so, so glad he did because, you know, why get that far in the process and not make it the best it can possibly be? Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I as I said, I actually love the editorial process because you just get super smart people. Like, it feels like cheating to me because you just got super smart people being like, here are some ideas to make your book even better. And you're like, wow, is it okay for me to just take these and use them? Like, it just feels <laughs> naughty. Um, but yeah, no, I really love it. And as I said, for me, like, for this novel, it, like, a lot of it was to do with yeah, removing the kind of where there was too much research or, you know, the as I said, there's four points of view and there was a sense all along that like one of the four like wasn't working as well as the other three. So then, you know, there's a question about do we cut it or do we just make, you know, work on it to bring it up and make it as strong as the others. Um, and, you know, there was a couple of things where like there's one kind of key scene in the middle, which is like a big, a big fight scene in a, in a pub, um, which ultimately leads to the, the, the murder that, as I said, the whole novel is centered around mm-hmm. and that, pub scene originally was told from one point of view but my editor was like I think it would be better from the different characters point of view which is all well and good but then because the thing is so meticulously plotted it required this big you know has this big domino effect because you then have to move things around and you then have this gap so yeah there's a lot of kind of um it felt very fiddly and very uh you know you dismantle the whole thing and you're like <laughs> oh god it'll never go back together but then it does um so yeah I as I said I actually I love the editorial process and I'm really lucky with both my editors that they're 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 very exacting but they're very very good so happy days that's cool so they kind of explode it and put it back together and um, of course it turns out beautifully hey I just want to take a quick break for my podcast recommendation for this week have you run out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them then take a listen to the book dreams podcast each week, co-hosts Julie Sternberg and Eve Yohalem use books to explore fascinating questions like what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus's wife that turned out to be fake? How did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, when, where, how, and especially why of books bound in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Disha Filia, award-winning author of The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Katherine Schultz, and neuroscientist and dreams researcher Siddhartha Ribeiro. You can subscribe and listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, talk a little bit about you didn't you obviously didn't have to research the the pub fight piece because you you've been in a lot of those I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, a seasoned a seasoned <laughs> fighter. <laughs> um, do you um, are you a coffee or a tea drinker? Uh, both. Both. In, okay. in excess. Yeah. I'm just checking. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, um, talk a little bit about uh, your next kind of literary adventure, what, what you're planning next. I understand that you're already working on something, but um, yeah, talk about kind of now the transition into something completely different. Yeah, I mean, I feel like being completely honest, I do feel like a little bit of a fraud being on this podcast right now being like I'm going to talk about my secrets to writing because at the moment I'd say I'm having a little bit of a like I don't know if I know how to write books anymore moment um yeah so yeah I have a first draft of the next thing but it's not it's currently not working but I think I think I'm starting just in the last couple of weeks to see a way through I don't know what it is I feel like I weirdly each novel I sort of almost set myself a challenge like I set myself a set of parameters mm-hmm. within which to write the next book so like for some reason despite everything that I've just said to you like I am determined that my next book will only have one point of view <laughs> which is very different from the last few I'm also determined that it won't be set in Ireland which is very different from the last two so I have all these things these kind of non-negotiables that just make my life misery which I, I don't know why I'm doing it to myself, but I'm just, I have this thing in me that I just, I want to challenge myself. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to just keep writing mm. the same book and I want to be learning and developing as a writer. So yeah, I am currently wrangling with a novel, <laughs> which only has one point of view, although in, in an elaborate, <laughs> um, elaborate ruse to like circumnavigate my own, uh, parameters I have it so that it jumps around a lot in time so it's almost mm. like any multiple multiple POVs but it's just the same character at different stages in her life it's set in Scotland not Ireland so it's like different but you've still got some like lovely moody landscape um so yeah I, I seem to just be determined to set myself all these kind of like challenges and yeah. then devising workarounds to like circumnavigate my own challenges which is a really bizarre um way to approach the task um but yeah as i said uh i wrote a first draft i showed it to my agent who was very politely like some of this is good and some of this (laughs) isn't um go away and think about it and i feel like i've been thinking about it for like slightly too long but you know (laughs) between pandemic and you know i teach full-time as well so it's just my brain has not been there but i feel like I don't know. I'm also very, um, I get very kind of philosophical around this time of year. I love New Year's resolutions. I'm a big believer in kind of starting afresh and mm-hmm. setting new goals, et cetera. So I think I am starting to feel like I see a way through. So I'm really hoping that 2022 will be a good writing year. And if I say it often enough, mm-hmm. it will happen. <laughs> that's great. I think that's a great, uh, a great way to kick off 2022. I think um, you're in good company because, well, I mean, many of us have been through challenging times uh, these last couple of years, and writers are, are hum- only human, uh, as I understand it. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's actually refreshing to hear a writer say, you know, that that they're that they are human, that they are running up against roadblocks, that they're not just cranking out, you know, three books a year and hitting all the lists, and and you know, so, so many of the of the well-known writers that we talked to, you talk about this same kind of challenge. Like each book is like, wait, didn't I, shouldn't I be better at this, this time around? Shouldn't I be <laughs> actually improving at this, at this uh, task? But so many I do think, don't, you yeah. know, so many feel I, the same way. 
I totally agree. And it doesn't get easier. And I think, you know, in a way I recognize that like, it, if I were just going to write like a variation on the theme or try and write a pretty similar book, like maybe, um, maybe it would be a bit easier, but I do think it's important to kind of keep challenging yourself and mm. keep trying to do something, do something new. But yeah, there is something a bit like, I mean, I kind of love and hate it when authors compared writing a book to giving birth because as I understand it the two are wildly different but I do think it's really funny how like women talk about the fact that like they can't remember the actual labor process because your body forces you to forget it because otherwise you would never do it again (laughs) and I kind of feel like at this moment in time I'm like I don't remember having this period of like wild uncertainty and existential crisis with the other books but my husband is like oh no you did you I remember this really (laughs) well it's awful but like in a way it's reassuring that like I, I was here before and I did manage to produce novels at the end of it so I just kind of you know, you slightly need to trust the process and just be like, this is part of it, even though it feels kind of horrific. Interesting. Interesting. Well, yeah, that's, it's nice to hear. Um, and imposter syndrome is, is a pretty common piece, especially amongst really, really talented and very, um, well-regarded authors. And yeah, I think that piece that you mentioned about setting the bar a little bit higher for yourself each time. I mean, you, you must, um, find it, I mean, there's a meta piece to this because you're teaching creative writing. Is that is that true? And so sometimes you must be teaching it and thinking to yourself, "Oh, am I actually am I following this following the same advice?" Yeah, I really feel that, and I I really felt that actually this semester. Like I've got you know, yeah. So I, I teach creative writing full time at the University of Birmingham, and. Um, you know, like at the moment I'm supervising 10 final year students who are working mm. on their dissertation. And like, I have, you know, I made this schedule for them. So like each, you know, each fortnight they need to be producing this many words and they're like working on their ideas and I've got <laughs> them to do plans and structures. And like each of them has just sent me 3000 words to read over the break. And like, I was just reading some of them before I came on the call, but I'm kind of like, huh, I'm like handholding these people to, you know, write their novels. <laughs> and yet secretly that I sit down to write my own at the moment. And I'm like, ah, can't do it. So yeah, I do feel, um, it feels kind of odd being like, am I being a hypocrite um so but I do like I don't know I I I I find it hard to do like I think I love like I love my job but I do think that like the teaching and the writing definitely feed into each other big time because it's just an Mm. excuse basically to be reading and talking and thinking about writing yeah all the time which is is lovely but I think in terms of like literally um at the same time I find it quite hard like I feel like during during term time um and while I'm teaching I find it very hard then just switch into writer mode like in the afternoons or just for like an hour here and there like I tend to do most of my writing like in the holidays or over the summer or like I've got like a semester of of research leave coming up next year and that is when I think I will finally finish a new draft of this book because yeah at the moment I'm just so invested in my students projects that I feel like just quite hard to get some headspace for my own yeah yeah very interesting well we value your time and and your wisdom um before we wrap up um with kind of your advice to fellow scribes I've got um one fun one for you. Of course, we will point at uh, your home base there, which is ruthgilligan.com. Um, the book is 
the butcher's blessing here in the U.S., and um, it's been called uh, an achingly beautiful novel of family tradition, Ireland, and the deep secrets buried in all three. That what Colin McCann said was very nice. Gilligan braids beauty and brutality together in a seamless literary thriller. Um, some nice, very nice words there from your colleague. But uh, yeah, anywhere else you want to point listeners to kind of connect with you before we wrap up here? Uh, I'm only, my only social media is Twitter. So I'm just at Ruth Gilligan. Um, I never, I never succumbed, succumbed <laughs> to Instagram. And I stepped away from Facebook a few years ago and haven't looked back. So yeah, Twitter is my only, my only vice. Um, only vice. But yeah, say okay. hi. Very good. Uh, all right. Final one. If you could have uh, dinner with any author from any era um, to your favorite spot in the world, uh, all expenses paid, of course, who would you take <laughs> and where would you take them? Not to put you on the spot at all. No, not in the slightest. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's really cliche for me to say to say James Joyce, but I just kind of like to meet the chap because he seems really odd. And I'd say he's like uber uber eccentric um i would say like kind of current living hero would be like someone like anne enright the irish author but i did actually get to meet her a while ago i did an event with her and i was so wildly um inarticulate because i just was so in (laughs) awe of her and she's just like insanely formidable and i was like i want to be you when i grow up um so maybe (laughs) if we went for dinner and there was wine i would be a bit more chill and we could like do that conversation from the top so uh yeah i'd say and and right if you fancy dinner okay uh, well you can bring you can bring both you know because okay cool we're we're (laughs) getting in the time machine or whatever and uh so where would you take uh james and annie (laughs) james and Anne, where would we go um well it would have to be somewhere i feel like in ireland so you know maybe somewhere some nice restaurant in dover dublin overlooking the sea we could have some some sea fish and some, some wine be lovely (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. Um, All right. Uh, Yeah. So if you have just a pearl of wisdom for fellow scribes on just how to how to keep going, how to persevere through uh, through the tough times, what what would you uh, drop on them? Um, Honestly, I would just say, if in doubt, go back to your plan. I feel like that is the one thing that, you know, um, if it's not if it's not feeling like an inspiration day and the words aren't coming, I just feel like going back to that plan and tinkering with it and, and thinking a bit more about the, about the architecture of, of your novel. It, that's, that's really, really useful work and will, will stand you in good stead. So I feel like on the days that you don't feel uber creative in terms of putting pretty language um, on the page, <laughs> the, the behind the scenes stuff is just as vital and appeals to a slightly different side of your brain. Lean on the work and then rely on the craft later on. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate your your time and your wisdom. Um, and thanks for, for dropping in here to do this today. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.